Chapter Three of the Statement of Stella Maberly by F. Anstey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three. Fool that I was! I had thought to do without love, but he had found me out at last and was punishing me for having set him at defiance. I had only met Hugh Dallas once, and yet I was already trying to recall his exact image, the tones of his voice, the least thing I had heard him say. My heart was aching with the longing to see him again. My pride rebelled against it. I couldn't understand how this should have happened to me, how in one short hour the pivot of all my thoughts and hopes seems to have shifted, or even what precise qualities he had which appealed to me so powerfully. Does one ever reason or analyse in such cases? I only knew I loved him and he felt nothing but indifference towards me, probably had not noticed whether I was young or old, pretty or plain. How should he when all his thoughts were so evidently occupied with Evelyn? I went to my mirror and studied myself curiously and dispassionately. I had certainly been looking my very best that afternoon. Surely the oval, olive-tinted face I saw reflected there, with the crown of soft, dark hair, the imperious mouth and the deep brown eyes that looked wistful and proud and sad had a character and charm of its own which could bear comparison even with Evelyn's more fragile and spiritual loveliness. I was taller than she was. I was as shapely, as well-born, and cleverer in some respects. Why should I despair? He was not hers yet. Was it so impossible? that if I chose I might compel him even now to transfer his homage? Oh, and yet I knew that I couldn't really sink to such baseness. After all, Evelyn had been good to me. I had loyalty and gratitude enough in me still to recognise that. I would never repay her by robbing her of the love that was rightfully hers. But as I registered this vow, I saw with a bitter laugh at my own vanity how ludicrously superfluous and cheap this magnanimity of mine was. For what had Evelyn to fear from me? She was everything to him already, and if she were not she had the advantage of her wealth. It was not likely that Hugh Dallas would ever turn from the heiress to her penniless companion. How truly generous to renounce what I had not the remotest chance of ever possessing! No such a love as mine was hopeless. The only course left to me was to preserve my self-respect in future by preventing him from ever suspecting my unhappy secret. The surest way was to leave the home at once, and how often now I wish I had had the courage to do so. But I couldn't. What plausible excuse could I give Evelyn for leaving her so suddenly? She'd guess my real reason and I shrank from returning home and facing the astonishment and curiosity of my family. Where else was I to go? I would stay at Tanstead until I could remain no longer. I clung to the mere prospect of seeing him again. Anything was more bearable, even having to stand and look on at the rapid growth of his attachment to another, than going away and imagining it all. So I stayed on and hid the fox that was gnawing at my heart, being sustained, as I then thought, by womanly pride, though I believe I was as much influenced by the old self-torturing impulse which led me to seek rather than shun the emotional excitement of misery. 
Evelyn had no suspicion of my mad jealousy, or the envy that jaundiced my every thought of her. As before, I took care to make any real confidence between us impossible, without allowing her to feel that I was estranged from her. She merely considered, as I knew she would, that I was suffering from a return of the old causeless depression that attacked me even in my schoolgirl days, and that it was wiser and kinder to leave me to fight it alone. But the part I had resolved to play was more difficult and painful than I could have realised. Hugh Dallas became a more and more frequent visitor at Tanstead. He had originally intended only to spend Whitsuntide at Laleham, but he stayed on, and seemed fully resigned to lose the remainder of the season in town. He had some idea, he said, of standing for his division at the next general election, and it was necessary to cultivate his future constituents. How far he did this I could not tell, but he apparently found time to attend every social event at which there was any chance of evening being present, and we were constantly meeting him at the various houses around Winston. At first he took some pains to be agreeable to me, as Evelyn's most intimate friend, and a person whom it was desirable to have on his side. But the mockery of this careless kindness was more than I could bear. I was afraid of betraying, in some unguarded moment, how deeply his presence agitated me, and I hid my feelings under a stony indifference, or cutting speeches, at which my own heart bled while I was making them. I avoided him as much as I could, for it was better that he should believe I had an aversion for him than guess the truth. I could see that he was hurt as well as surprised by my treatment, and that Evelyn too was distressed, and I felt a fierce satisfaction in knowing it. It was only fair that they should suffer a little when I was suffering so much. She made tentative approaches to the subject when we were alone, but Evelyn was always easily repelled and she soon saw that I did not intend to discuss it, and gave up the attempt with a sigh. The consciousness of the growing shadow between us was telling on her spirits as I noticed, and every evidence of my supposed antipathy to Hugh Dallas was a fresh grief and anxiety to her. I imagined that it was this which made her still hesitate before definitely accepting him, and that she did not love him enough, as yet, to brave my disapproval. This impression of mine was strengthened by what I saw of their demeanour when they thought themselves alone and unobserved, for though I slipped away to my room at the first opportunity, I could not resist watching them whenever they were in the garden together and came within sight. They were always talking earnestly and confidentially. He, from his expression, seemed to be pressing her for a decision, and she gently putting him off without forbidding him all hope once or twice as they passed below my window, I was almost certain I heard my own name. I was the obstacle I knew, but sooner or later he would succeed in persuading her to disregard my prejudices, though the suspense was so long drawn out that I almost fancied I should be glad when the comedy was over and the inevitable denouement reached. Even Mrs. Maitland began to grow a little uneasy and impatient. "'I suppose it is really all right,' she said to me one afternoon, "'though why they should take so long to come to an understanding. "'I often feel tempted to try whether I can find out from dear Evelyn "'whether there is anything, actually, but, but I might do more harm than good by interfering. "'Now you, dear Miss Maybelly, 
you are naturally more in her confidence than i ever was though i am her aunt don't you think that if you were to speak to her i gave the good lady to understand that i knew nothing and wished to know nothing and that evelyn was surely capable of managing her own affairs i'm afraid you're getting to live far too much in a world of your own my dear she retorted with a slightly ruffled air i thought you'd take more interest in what concerns her happiness but perhaps you don't feel at liberty to repeat confidences and no doubt you are right though i have some claim to be told i consider and you can certainly depend upon my discretion she paused invitingly but i saw no reason to gratify her curiosity particularly as i knew no more than she did and i remained silent oh well she continued i certainly expected it would all have been settled long before this but it's only a question of time after all if she meant to refuse him she would not let him be so much with her as he is she's far too conscientious for that but as the time went on and nothing happened i felt a growing dread of the day when the blow should fall even this uncertainty had its compensations i could still indulge in faint delusive hopes but when i knew that all was over that they were definitely engaged when i should have to witness their ecstasies to sympathise congratulate when i found myself condemned to loneliness and dependence again without even the excitement of occasional contact with him how could i bear it how could i live through it and then the thought came to me why should i live through it why not escape from it all as soon as the misery became past all bearing they wouldn't miss me at home evelyn might be a little sorry at first but not for long he would not care and i should have done with suffering and be at rest i found a medical work in the library which treated of poisons and this i studied carefully for i had decided on this means of ending my life and i wanted to find some drug that would act painlessly and not leave me hideous after death i chose chloral as the easiest to procure and the most likely to give the impression of an accidental overdose rather than deliberate suicide so that i could go out of life carrying my secret with me it wasn't difficult to induce the chemist in the nearest market town to let me have enough for my purpose i had dealt there before and he was satisfied with entering my name and address and mildly cautioning me against the danger of fighting insomnia i told him i was suffering from sleeplessness with so treacherous an ally so now that i had the means at hand of procuring my own release whenever i chose i felt calmer and more resigned one afternoon i was sitting in my room absently wondering as i fingered the fluted blue file on my dressing-table how long it would be before i broke the seal and whether it was possible that i should repent as i felt the first approach of the sleep which would be my last when i was startled by finding that mrs maitland had entered by the door which i fancied i had locked i'm afraid i disturbed you my dear she began but i knocked three times and as you didn't answer i ventured to peep in for you have been so unlike yourself lately that i really feel quite anxious about you why she broke off as her eyes caught the file which i had not had the presence of mind enough to hide in time 
"'Surely that bottle is labelled poison. "'Now what can you possibly want with such a thing?' "'I laughed. Oh, "'Don't be alarmed,' I said. "'It's only a very ordinary sleeping draught. "'They're obliged to label it like this, "'but as a matter of fact it's perfectly harmless, "'so long as the proper dose is not exceeded. "'I got it because I have been afraid lately "'that I was in for a bad attack of neuralgia, "'and I thought I'd have a remedy at hand.' "'Neuralgia is a dreadful thing, I know,' she said, "'taking up the bottle and examining it. "'Ah, I see, it tells you how many drops to take. "'Only I do hope you'll be very careful, my dear, "'and not take more than is safe. "'One hears of so many accidents.' "'If it will make your mind easier,' I said, "'I'll promise to take no more than is necessary "'if I am ever reduced to taking it at all.' Oh, "'Thank you, my dear. So long as you keep to that and don't let yourself get dependent on it, I dare say. Oh, but I came up to tell you something, and I declare this has driven it quite out of my mind. Now, what was it?' I was naturally unable to supply the answer, and I dare say I looked as if I could see no reason why she should have invaded me at all in this unceremonious way. Oh, "'I remember now,' she said. "'Of course, how stupid of me to forget. "'Mr. Dallas is here again, "'and though goodness knows I was never an eavesdropper, "'I really couldn't help overhearing part of what he was saying to Evelyn just now. "'And from what I could make out, there is a hitch, "'and in some way it depends on you, my dear Miss Maberly, to put it right.' It seems she's got it into her head that you disapprove of him, which of course is nonsense, and he was urging her to let him have an opportunity of seeing you, and I think she is willing to accept him if only he can succeed in getting you on his side, though why, as she is evidently fond of him, she should let anyone else, even you, my dear, dictate her answer to her, I don't know. "'But there it is, and though I am sure that you see as well as I do myself "'what a thousand pities it would be if such a perfectly suitable match were broken off "'for some fanciful scruple, and I know you will make dear Evelyn understand "'how mistaken she is in thinking you could be opposed to anything so obviously for her happiness, "'I thought I had better give you just a hint how matters stand. "'And now I've done it, I'll go away and not worry you any longer, for I see you're thinking me a tiresome old woman. She fussed out of the room, highly satisfied, I've no doubt, with her own consummate diplomacy, and I was left to think over what she had told me. Part of it I had already guessed for myself, but it had never occurred to me that Evelyn would actually leave it to me, of all people, to decide what her answer should be. Such self-abnegation was unnatural. It could not be sincere. She had made up her mind to accept him long since, but she wanted to gain my formal approval to satisfy her own conscience, and she felt confident that I could not well refuse it. And she had allowed him to plead to me, the man who would lacerate my heart by every word that showed how ardently he loved her. Could she really be so selfishly blind? After all, she was a woman. She ought to have... She must have read me better, in spite of myself, than to have no suspicion that it was not dislike that had made me shun him as I had. 
she had too much insight not to see if she had cared to see the cruelty of forcing me to figure like this in her triumph still i would go through this final ordeal the fierce indignation i felt against both of them would give me strength to play my part to the end without faltering or betraying myself he was there in the house now if i chose to go downstairs i might get this interview over i had never been alone with him yet i felt a kind of eagerness for the exquisite suffering of hearing the avowal of his love for evelyn from his own lips death would be all the easier afterwards and so though he would not notice whether i was looking ill or well i hastily bathed my hot eyes and rearranged my disordered hair and feeling defiantly sure of myself i went down to the drawing-room where i knew he and evelyn would probably be End of chapter 3